Hello, this is Scott Owens, pastor of Northside Baptist Church and your host here on The Harbinger. This is episode three, season one, and we want to welcome you today. It's hard to believe that March is just about over and we are coming into April and that means Easter and spring. And I love both. I love Easter and spring. Easter is a very special time, a very special time of reflection and remembrance of the completed work of redemption by Jesus Christ on the cross and his ultimate victory uh, by his resurrection from the grave. And so uh, I'm excited about this season that we're coming into. It means warmer weather and uh, praise God for that. And so I want to begin by sharing a little story. This past week has been tough for me as a, as a preacher, and I know that I'm not the only pastor that deals with this, but I really wrestled with the text and felt this sense of desperation come over me when it came to what God would have me to preach uh, in our worship service on Sunday morning. Uh, I had a uh, somewhat of an idea of what God was wanting me to do. I felt like we were going to start a mini-series in a greater context of a, the series that we're in, in in this year of unpacking the Gospel of John, and a series that would lead us up to Easter. But every time I sat down with a Bible and a piece of paper, it just felt like I hit a brick wall. And so this brings us to Saturday morning. Let me say this. When I get to that place in in, in preparation, I kind of back away and begin to pray and really search and, and really begin to press and find what God's will is. And so Saturday morning, we had our very first men's Bible study, Breakfast Brothers in the Bible study at Northside. And we're kicking it off with a study out of John MacArthur's book, Stand Firm, Living in a Post-Christian Culture. What a tremendous study it was. The first one, we unpacked the biblical truth when it comes to our conscience. And so it was so good that I really felt like the people at Northside needed to hear this truth. And so on this episode of The Harbinger, I want to uh, work through a sermon recap, focusing more on the conscience than I do on the post-Christian culture. And let me say, as we begin this podcast, the material that I'm going to present to you, not all of it is original. I just want to be honest and upfront, but I will make references to those sources. But I want to begin with the question of this episode. I want to begin this episode with a question that we began the message with. And it comes from a question that R.C. Sproul posed in an, in an article entitled The Razor's Edge. How does a Christian, and I quote, how does a Christian live in the tension of those gray areas with a clear conscience, end quote. And then there was the follow-up question. Is my conscience held captive by the word of God or by the whims of the world? It was Martin Luther who said, my conscience is held captive by the word of God. And to act against conscience is neither right nor safe, end quote. See, these were words that formed a crucial part of Martin Luther's faithful response to authorities of church and state when they had ordered him to recant of his teachings at the Diet of Worms in 1521. He was pleading that his intention was not to be rebellious, but to be faithful to the Word of God and to the Scriptures. And here's what Luther was declaring. It was not so much that he would not recant, but that he could not recant. So I have two objectives in this episode. And the first one is to define post-Christian culture briefly. And secondly, how to cultivate a healthy conscience with all the unfiltered messages that we are being bombarded with by our culture. Now, what is a post-Christian culture? 
A post-Christian culture is a culture embracing the concept of Christianity, but refusing the cost and the conviction and the commitment and the conditions and the canon of truth in which the Christian faith is embedded in. They want Christ, but they don't want to follow him by a totally sold-out life. Vody Bachman, in his article, Pilgrims in a Post-Christian Culture, from Ligonier Ministries, makes this statement, and I quote, The post-Christian culture would have us believe that the only way to bear witness to Christ effectively is to contextualize in a way that essentially leaves the path. We must walk like, talk like, dress like, live like, and love like the world in order to win the world, end quote. See, post-Christian culture denies and refuses and does not want to pick up their cross and follow Jesus. Although they want to follow Jesus, they just don't want the cross that goes along with Christ. They do not want their wills mastered by God's will. They do not want to be a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1 through 2. They want to be conformed to the world, but yet they still want to be Christian. One writer said post-Christianity is the situation in which Christianity is no longer the dominant civil religion of society, but has gradually assumed values, culture, and worldviews that aren't Christian at all. <coughs> Excuse me. See, post-Christian is very selective when it comes to the principles within Christianity. They're very selective. They deny the truth that these principles that form our Christian faith, they deny the truth that they are embedded in. And then so they reframe the meaning. It is a reaction against Christianity. People want the benefits of Christ, but they do not want the connection to the Christian faith. So within the Christian, within this post-Christian culture, it begins to collapse around itself. That's what happens. It begins to collapse around itself. And so here's what uh, one writer said in the Moody Publishers, 2003, page 30, and I quote, Today's culture aggressively, systematically tries to silence the conscience. And they do this, let me stop for a moment, through these, these messages that are being piped into our world. And I mean, when I mean world, I mean the social media world, the news world, I mean the, the, the television world, these, these subtle uh, messages. Let me go back to my quote. People have been taught to ignore any and all guilt feeling conscience produces, viewing them as harmful to their self-esteem. They believe their problems stem from not their sin, but some external factor beyond their control. So, end quote. So what we have is post-Christian culturists are victims and they do not own their sin. They don't do it. So how do we discern, how do we distinguish all of these messages that are being bombarded, that we are being bombarded with as being from God? And, it, and, and, and the answer is our conscience. See, our conscience is the driving force behind us embracing the cost and the commitment and the conditions of Christianity. And it's Brings us back to our question, is my conscience held captive by the word of God or by the whims of the world? Richard Sibbs, the Puritan preacher, defines the conscience as the soul reflecting on itself. So it is an, the conscience is an essential device that is in every person. 
And what role does it play in our holiness? What role does it play in our purity? What role does it play in our Christianity? What role does it play when it comes to us living in a post-Christian culture? With all of these gray areas. Well, it is the God-giving warning device that tells you and me that we are on a road to spiritual disaster. It is a, a, a voice that a, a, a alerts us to these unbiblical social issues that we would, we would otherwise ignore and, and just disregard. And let me say this, whether you realize it or not, whether you are ignoring them or just disregarding them, can I tell you that unconsciously, in, in, in some un, and, and maybe that's a bad word to use, unconsciously. Maybe you're not aware of it. Let's put it that way. Maybe you're just not aware of it. Maybe you're not intentionally aware of it. It's affecting your worldview. And so the conscience is that pain of the heart. And pain is God, is what God gives to us that prevents us from damaging ourselves. When we feel pain, we know something's wrong. And your conscience is that pain. Pain protects us. And so the conscience is the inner voice that senses moral violation. God put it in us when he created man in his own image. He put into us and to everyone this, 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 this sense of moral violation. Whatever's right and wrong. Romans 2 verses 14 and 15. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. And that's their conscience. Even though they do not have the law, written law, written on paper, they show that the work of the law is written in their hearts. That's their conscience. Now, according to Webster's 1913 uh, definition and dictionary, internal and self-knowledge, judgment of right and wrong, or the faculty, power, or principle within us which decides on the lawfulness and the unlawfulness of our own actions and affections. So the word conscience is kind of a compound of two words meaning con, with, and science, knowledge. So our own conscience means having the knowledge of something we're going to do or going to say or what we've done or what we've said or how we will do it and, and what we will say in the future or let me bring it into uh, context, how we interpret all of these messages that are being unfiltered into our world by this post-Christian culture. See, our conscience holds us responsible for our actions and our judgments and our choices. See, the conscience is not the voice of God. It's not the voice of God. Uh, in the second epistle of Paul to the Corinthians, the Tyndale New Testament commentary on page 70 and 71 says this, The conscience is not to be equated with the voice of God or even the moral law. Rather, it is a human faculty with uh, adjunct gates upon human action by the light of the highest standard a person perceives. Now here's the key. By the light of the highest standard a person perceives. See, a conscience can become flawed. You cannot let your conscience be your guide. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that our heart is desperately wicked. See, God's voice speaks through the Word of God, and the Word of God is that highest light, that highest standard. So God speaks through His Word, with, which is truth, and there, there is no error. It is flawless. He speaks truth. So how do you distinguish between the two? How do you distinguish between, hey, is this the voice of God, or 
Is this a post-Christian culture bombarding me with an unfiltered message? See, 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God or for, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. See, combined with the moral convictions, our conscience compels us to do right and restrains from doing wrong, but it has to be cultivated. It has to be a healthy conscience and that highest standard of light is the Word of God. See, if it, it is self-awareness. It enables us to contemplate, comprehend our, our motives, our intentions, our feelings, our judgments. See, the conscience is not the voice of God, nor is it a moral law, but it is that human faculty given to us by God that helps us make judgments, decisions upon human actions. What is that high standard a person perceives? Well, John 17, 17 says, Thy word is truth. And today truth is being marginalized. We know that. So all consciences are not created equal. All consciences are not created equal. Kevin DeYoung, in Piety Pattern, in his book, on page 42 and 43, makes this statement. The conscience is not infallible. We can have an evil conscience that doesn't turn away from sin, Hebrews 10, 22. We can have a seared conscience that no longer feels bad over evil, 1 Timothy 4, 2. We can have a weak conscience that feels bad for things that aren't really bad, 1 Corinthians 8, 7 through 12. And we can have a defiled conscience that loses its ability to discern what's right and wrong, Titus 1.15. Now I want to go back to the weak conscience that feels that things are bad that aren't really bad. This is where legalism comes in. Because we put these unnecessary weight on people. That if you don't do it a certain way and you don't do it a certain time and you don't look a certain way. And all of these unnecessary things that are weighted and yoked upon Christians that we deem as bad when aren't really bad. It's because there's a weak conscience from discerning what the Bible actually says. Philippians 3.19, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is their shame. Because they mind, their mind is set on earthly things. Isaiah 5, 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Boy, we see that today. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Wow, that's a verse that ought to be just all over our nation. In order for the conscience to function properly, it must be calibrated to light. The highest moral standard, it has to be calibrated to light. And so that calibration comes from the Word of God. The conscience must be conformed to the truth of God's Word. So the youthfulness of my conscience is determined by the amount of truth passing through it. Passing through it. See, the reason why so many church people are falling for the whims of our post-Christian culture, that you can be a Christian, but you don't have to be all in. Everything's Christian now. Everything's got Christian put onto it. Everything is. Everything's got, everything is Christian. But how do I cultivate a functioning, proper Conscience. I have to calibrate it to the Word of God. And that Word of God is what gives me that, that sense of what is right and wrong. Would I make a right decision, a wrong decision, a wrong, a wrong judgment, a right judgment? The conscience must be conformed to God's Word. The youthfulness of the conscience is determined by the amount of truth passing through it. A properly functioning conscience, John MacArthur said, is fully informed by the Word of God. This is what Psalms 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. 
So when the conscience is calibrated to the Word of God, it sends the right signals. It sends the right signals. Oswald Chambers said this, Conscience is that faculty in me which attaches itself to the highest that I know and tells me what the highest I know demands that I do. It is the eye of the soul which looks out either toward God or toward what regards as the highest authority. Now let me stop just for a minute right there. That could be that post-Christian culture message. Let me finish my quote. If I am in the habit of steadily facing toward God, my conscience will always introduce God's perfect law and indicate what I should do. The point is, will I obey? I have to make an effort to keep my conscience so sensitive that I walk without offense. I should be living in such a perfect sympathy with God's Son that in every circumstance the spirit of my mind is renewed. The one thing that keeps the conscience sensitive to Him is the habit of being open to God on the inside. When there is, an, what, when there is any debate, I quit. There is no debate possible when the conscience speaks. So I gave four, or John MacArthur gives four practical steps, and I kind of reworded them to keep your conscience in check. And the first one is your conscience must be clean through the saving work of Jesus Christ. Through faith, guilt is acknowledged, and through faith in the substitute work of Jesus Christ, one is saved. You have to have a clean conscience. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new is come. So number one, you have got to have a clean conscience through the saving work of Jesus Christ. Here's number two. You've got to protect the purity of the conscience. You've got to guard against unchecked sin. See, it entails self-examination. Internalize things. Look at yourself and make a faithful confession. Ask the Spirit of God to turn the light on in your heart to reveal to you sin that is there. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How long has it been, friend, since you've taken time to just sit and reflect? Maybe some hard feeling you've been harboring, maybe some resentment, maybe some bitterness, maybe you've said something to somebody you know it, it hurt them and you have yet to make it right between you and God and you and that person. Your conscience will not be pure. It will be flawed if you do not get that right. Maybe you've looked at something you shouldn't have looked at and God has pricked your heart and you have yet to confess it because the shame is just unbearable. You have got to get that right with God. Maybe you're unfaithful to church. Maybe you've gotten your family out of church. Maybe you're a man listening to this podcast and you're no longer the man of your house leading your family to go to church. You let your family dictate to you what they're going to do. Let me say to you, you need to confess that before God and get that right and let your conscience be clean. That's, what, that's, what, that's how you guard your conscience. Here's the third thing. You cannot afford to have a misfiring conscience. Boy, this really resonated with me because a conscience that is overactive can do more harm than good. And when I say overactive, I mean focusing on things that weaken it down. Maybe you're more focused on feelings, inconsistent emotions, up and down, up and down, in and out, happy, sad. You falsely magnify doubts and fears. That's the one that got me. That's the one that got a hold of, of Scott Owens because I 
magnify my doubts. I magnify my fears. I'm going to share with you a, a fear that I have that I am hoping and praying that God will let me uh, get the victory uh, over. And that is the fear of flying. I feel like every time I step on a plane, I'm going to die. And, and you may be laughing right now, but it, in, in all reality, it's not funny because I actually feel like the plane is going down. I feel this sense some of you that are super Christian may say, well, you're just not right with God. You don't have faith. I have plenty of faith. Not as much as I should, but I have faith. I know God is able. But when, you're, when your conscience is misfiring messages, maybe magnifying your doubts. Now here's one. Too focused on your failures with sin and not on the grace of God. How many people sitting listening to this podcast are sitting in guilt and shame and ignoring the grace of God? Romans 14, 1, Him that is weak in the faith, weak conscience, is an immature and fragile, one that is quick to accuse but easily offended. See, to strengthen the conscience is to love the Word of God, the things of God. Get in church. Be on your, be on your knees praying. It is developing in, in the understanding of scriptural truth. Get in a Bible study. Get into discipleship training class. Deepening your knowledge of God. Deepening your knowledge of the character of God and the nature of God. Deepening your knowledge of the truth of God's Word. Saturating yourself in the precepts and the commandments of God. And here's the fourth one. Don't let your conscience be your God, but don't ignore it either. Don't let it be your God. Don't let it guide you. Don't let it be the one determining voice in your life. You've got to let the, the voice of God be the one that trumps all these voices. See, when our conscience cries and calls to our attention, we've got to ask, is this God or is this these unfiltered messages that are affecting? See, you've got to take serious the warnings. You've got to deal quick with sin and identify it. See, nothing is more deadly and destructive than secret sins in the mind. Nothing is more deadly. It's the devil's playground. An idle mind is the devil's playground. Indulging in private thoughts, nurturing sinful thoughts, you've got to guard against that. So God is not only concerned, loved ones, with the exterior, but God is also concerned with the interior. You know what Jesus said, Matthew 5? You have heard that it is said in those days, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to hellfire. It's a matter of internals. Matthew 5, 27, 28, you have heard that it said you shall not commit adultery. But I say that if, you, if anyone who looks at a woman with lust, intent, lustful intent, has already committed adultery in his heart with her. So how do I deal with this post-Christian culture voice that keeps bombarding my life? Tell me I can be Christian, but I don't have to take the commitment of it. Denying the very truth in which Christian, the Christian faith is embedded in. And now I've got a flawed conscience. It's given me all these different messages that are just firing and misfiring. How do I do that? If we're going to live up to the standard that God has set for holiness and purity and righteousness, it has to be maintained by and through a conscience that is clear and that clean. Just as we live up to the standard, we also fail miserably by a conscience that is misinforming us. Twisting, allowing these messages to, to, to twist our, 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 our concept of God's Word. And so I want to end this episode with this question that we started with by R.C. Sproul. 
Is your conscience held captive by the word of God or is it held captive by the whims of the world, the culture, the society, this post-Christian that says, oh, you know, we're changing the way things are done. We're changing it up. We're changing it up. You can follow Christ, get on the path of Christ, be a good person like Christ, but you don't have to take up your cross like Christ. You don't have to sacrifice. You don't have to deny yourself. You shouldn't do that. That does not good for your self-esteem is what a post-Christian culture says. And so we have broken conscience. And so I hope and pray this episode has been a blessing to you. It's kind of a recap of what we talked about. And uh, I just pray and hope that you guys will take it to heart and, uh, and, 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 and study for yourself how this post-Christian culture is trying to deplete true Christianity with all of these man-made ideas of what they think Christianity is all about. And so, hey, I hope and pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week and a wonderful April. I hope your Easter is blessed wherever you worship. Uh, stay tuned for episode four where we're coming down the pipe with that. And it'll be just a sermon recap, maybe on some uh, uh, some more uh, issues that are pressing upon our, our, our world right now, or maybe just a sermon recap. And so, hey, thank you for listening to The Harbinger, and we hope and pray that you are blessed by this. May God bless you, and we'll see you next time here on The Harbinger.